Hello, and welcome to this episode of Be the Serpent, a podcast of extremely deep literary merit, with your classy and sophisticated hosts, Alexandra Rowland, Freya Mosk, and Jennifer Mace. On this episode, we're discussing the 1993 movie Groundhog Day, the Yuri on Ice fic Maelstrom by Feels Like Fire, and the flash fiction piece The First Stop is Always the Last by John Wiswell. Hello, and welcome to episode 22, Out of Cheese, Error, Redo from Start. I'm Alex, the November 2nd one. I'm Freya, and I'm the December 1st one. I'm Macy, and I'm the September 21st one. I'm Alex, and I'm the November 2nd one. I'm Freya, and I'm the December 1st one. Uh, um, wait, um, I'm Macy, the, uh, September 21st one? I'm Alex, the November 2nd one. I'm Freya, the December 1st one. But guys, what's going on? We are three red-headed fantasy authors. And today we're talking about an excellent trope, Groundhog Day. But you first, it's, I know, I know. Uh, it is my favorite day of the year. It is November 2nd. It's NaNoWriMo. Uh, have uh. you guys had time to read anything lately, fellow serpents? Because it's been a bit of a fortnight for me. <laughs> I have. October has been a huge reading month for me, actually. Uh, most recently, I've decided to take a little bit of a break from reading sci-fi fantasy because um, I was in a bit of a glut with that. So mm. I am in the middle of reading The Seven Deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle by Stuart Turton, mm. which I will talk about later because it is relevant to this episode. And I also read The Possessed by Elif Batterman, which is a memoir about essentially being a grad student in Russian literature, which is very interesting. Mm. And a contemporary YA book called My Most Excellent Year by Steve Kluger. And I'm not usually a contemporary YA person, but this <laughs> is a really, really charming book that is about the most Boston thing I have ever put in my eyeballs. It was given to me by a friend who lives in Boston. It's charming. It's got really nice romances and really nice sort of activist teens. And I loved it. It's really fun. Whereas I have been reading City of Blades by Robert Jackson Bennett, which I think Yoon told me to read about a year and a half ago. And I haven't because I'm, as established previously, a disaster. Uh, but it is the second book in a trilogy of what I've been describing as secondary world fantasy spy novels. And it's super cool and has a really amazing like original city setting that I'm enjoying immensely. And it also has an older woman uh, military leader as the protagonist, which I'm particularly oh, nice. appreciating. That is yeah. on my list. Yes, it's so good. And I have also been comfort rereading Freya's um, Yuri in Space fix, starting with Stargazer, because sometimes you just gotta. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You just gotta. You just gotta. <laughs> uh, I have not really had time to read much. Uh, I did finish Torn by Rowena Miller, which mm. I think I talked about before. It's a secondary world fantasy that is sort of a little bit Les Miserables, uh, except it's about a seamstress who can do magic, and it's about uh, revolution and some really interesting interrogation about like class differences and... Mm the responsibility that we have to stand up against oppression and so forth. Uh, and that's fantastic. The rest of my time has been taken up with, uh, unexpectedly, I was given copy edits for <laughs> uh, the sequel to Conspiracy. 
and had to get through that before Nano because <laughs> I don't want to be working on that during Nano. And then I was doing mostly prep for uh, Nano. I had to do a whirlwind revision of the book that I'm working on to fit a couple extra characters in. And ah, yeah, it's just been... <laughs> and like also dealing with the fact that like my book is out now and I have been doing all this like social media stuff and right now I'm at a convention I'm at world fantasy convention in Baltimore taking a couple hours break from BarCon to come up and record with you lovely people uh, well in so, case any of our yeah. darling listeners do not know what we're talking about when we say nano over and oh, over sorry. and over again you may have been living <laughs> under an internet rock but we are talking True. about national novel writing month it is November we are all attempting to write well, at least 50,000 words. Alex is going a little over the Alex top. is an overachiever, as you Spiders usual. Alex, we have a petition out to rename the meme to, because honestly, you don't know so, how many times today I was called Spiders Alex. <laughs> it was a non-zero number of times. So you will hear more from us about Nano, and we will cry a lot later in the month. But yes. for today, yes. what are we talking about? Today, we are talking about Groundhog Day which is one of our tentpoles, the original Groundhog Day movie from the 90s. And let me warn you, listeners, it's really from the 90s. It's really from the 90s. It's really, really 90s. But um, for the purposes of this episode, uh, we're talking about what the term Groundhog Day has come to mean, which is the idea of reliving the same day over and over and over again. Which is why my darling fellow serpents decided to troll me at the beginning of this episode. <laughs> Listen. It was very thematic, though. It was, sure. It was very literary, Alex. Yes, well done. It was my idea. Aha. <laughs> uh-huh. But as well as Groundhog Day specifically, which generally means um, you're reliving one day and you reset the beginning of the day every time and nothing changes. We'll also be talking a little bit about the time loops trope in general. And maybe if we have a bit of time, a little bit about other forms of time travel. I really like this trope. It's a lot of fun. It is. I think it really lets you dig into the basis of character and also the basis of the world really well. I'm not convinced it's a great one for telling a story. No, it, for, for me, it's definitely like a character-based trope. Like the mm-hmm. reason that you write a Groundhog Day fic is when you have a character who needs to be forced into doing some kind of crucial personal emotional work and be like confronted with the impact that their actions have on the world. We, this is this is the trope of rubbing the puppy's nose into the pool on the floor. Yeah, cuz sometimes you just have to like like take this character and smack them and smack them and smack them and smack them until they get the until the idea occurs to them that the definition of idiocy is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. So then they just naturally start trying to do different things. And when you take away the stakes, when you make it so that they don't have there's consequences for their actions, but they get a second chance and a third chance yep. and in, an yep. infinite number of chances until they get it right. It makes them much more willing to try things that they wouldn't have tried and do a lot of personal growth and change and become better. And that sort of brings me into like the sort of mind-blowing revelation that I had while I was thinking about this, which is that Groundhog Day as a trope is really just a retelling of the Buddhist idea of samsara. 
Uh, and samsara is the cycle of death and rebirth and death and rebirth where you are supposed to do good things and live virtuously so that you can keep improving both in this life and the next ones. Hmm. And the end goal is to attain moksha, which is the uh, freedom from the cycle. You're, you're breaking out of the cycle and attaining nirvana, and then you don't have to go through these endless reincarnations. Huh. And it takes, it takes a lot of like personal work and like trying really hard to get it right. And Groundhog Day is kind of explicitly that. I agree that a Groundhog Day fanfic or like the story is not satisfying unless you have that personal character growth going on. Yeah. But when I was thinking about lots of different examples of this, I quite like it when there is a different reason for that to happen. So the, traditionally, I think the whole idea is the reason you are in this loop is because you need to change. It's a way of accelerating mm -hmm. character growth through forced repetition. But I quite like it. And obviously in science fiction and fantasy, there's a lot of room for this where there is a higher structure something else needs to happen. It's it's happening because of something. And I was thinking about, this isn't one of, the, one of our formal taxonomies, but I was trying to think of all the different ways in which this trope can be framed. And definitely personal growth is one of them. But you can also think of it as a quest. Like there is a problem you have to solve. There is something that has to be done. Um, it can be used as punishment or weapon. And often is, I think, in some of the TVs and movies that use it. It can be used because you are trying to avoid something in the future. It can be used, it's often used as a simulation effect. Like this is a way of trying out a lot of different things. Did you just have a thought? Basically? Yes. Yes, I was thinking of the person of interest episode, which I think that you were thinking about also for that one. Yeah. It's... The one where the AI is replaying the same attempt to save its people. Yeah, and in that case, it's not that the people are living it over and over, except they kind of are in the AI's mm -hmm. mind. And it's a similar sort of yes. effect. It's trying to find the perfect solution by trying out all these different ones. I just have such affection for that AI and in that particular episode. It's a for great episode. I just episode. have such affection. And I think on a personal level, as a reader, as an audience member, the reason we love this trope is very classic wish fulfillment of what if mm -hmm. I could go back and do it again? It's this idea of, you know, Esprit d'Escalier where you're like, oh, if only I could have done this. But it's that made If huge. only I could have delivered that perfect comeback. Exactly. And except oh, yeah. if only I could have done mm -hmm. that and then also done this other thing and then also done this other thing. And it gives you that chance to go back and get it perfect, which to somebody who comes from a fairly perfectionist personality, <laughs> that's very appealing. <laughs> Big mood. Big mood oh, dear. So do we want to talk about the uh, tentpole itself, the trope namer, as it were? Yes. The founding father of Groundhog Day. All right. So Groundhog Day, the movie, 1993, starring Bill Murray and Andy McDowell. Okay, I have to ask this as the non-American or non-American cultured person on the podcast. Is this a real holiday? So Groundhog Day is a real holiday. I do have never seen it celebrated to that extent. Now, in it makes no sense. I was trying to understand Alex the, like, the basis for it. This whole like shadow, winter, spring. I've got, I was like, what? What is going on? Alex, I think it is entirely fair to say that given this is a country where some town's claim to fame is having the biggest cheese wheel, there is something somewhere that has at least this much of a Groundhog Day festival. Yes. I mean, there are... Uh, 
people in small towns will take any having grown up in a small-ish town people in small towns will take any excuse to throw a festival uh in fort pierce florida where i grew up we used to have the pineapple festival the sandy (laughs) shoes festival uh friday fest which happened every month on the first friday of the month (laughs) (laughs) Um, just a lot of things all right well i'm glad we've sorted that out however I've never heard of Punxsutawney, Philadelphia, having the, which is a real town, by the Seriously? way. Seriously, that's such a made-up yeah. name. No, it's yeah. not. How dare you? That's a that's a Native American word. No, no, it's, a, it's like a wonderful name. It sounds like something that someone made up. Was like this is well, amazing. We, name in Florida, for town. we have na- names like uh. Kissimmee and Okeechobee and shit like that, uh, which is also based on Native American names for things. Uh, so don't say okay. it sounds made up. Because for one thing, all words are made up. All and right. also, don't be racist. Yes, Alex. All right. This movie is set in Punxsutawney, Philadelphia. It is about an arrogant douche canoe of a weatherman who is sent to this small town to cover the Groundhog Day Festival. And he keeps reliving the same day and waking up again and again in the town. And he try he can try and leave, but there's a blizzard that means he has to keep coming back. So he is stuck in the town. And over the course of the movie, he learns more about the people in the town and the people around him and he goes through some character growth and learns to be less of a douche canoe kind of it is certainly a movie it's very 90s ah i maintain that this the main character the most redeemable character in this movie is the groundhog really because i liked the The i liked the cameraman he seemed like a cool dude he did until that very last um, oh. scene at the party, and then he super didn't. Because You're right. Because they were like, oh, whoops, we accidentally made another male character seem palatable, and we can't actually get this weatherman to be better than this standard. Yeah. So let's lower that standard so everybody forgets. Yeah, you're right. See, I came at this movie because I had not seen this movie what? until I watched it for this. No, never. But I had seen and listened to the musical ah. version by Tim Minchin. And the musical is much better. How is the musical different? It's not the 90s. <laughs> okay, sure. Yeah, I mean, it's Tim Minchin. Yes, and he's Tim Minchin. Yeah, Tim Minchin. I mean, obviously, the music is fantastic. It's The staging of it is insanely clever, like the way hmm. they do the multiple loops and all yeah. these different things. Like, it's a very technically difficult musical, but it's incredible to watch. And mm-hmm. the main character is just as much of an arrogant dick at the beginning, but he is slightly less overtly creepy through it like he's just mm. arrogant and you know he goes yeah. through periods of being creepy but in a way that i don't know it might just be the actor who played him he's incredibly charismatic and i find bill murray to be like a piece of damp bread so maybe it helped yeah i don't like him um rita has a bit a lot more to do like mm-hmm. you find out a lot more about her as a person and the supporting team are also kind of a bit more fleshed out as well like you learn more about his friend from high school um the like blonde girl who's a throwaway oh ho, ho, nancy taylor um gets a song of her own and you find out a bit more about the cameraman like it's more fleshed out even though you'd think they would mm-hmm. have less time because they have to fit all of these songs into it hmm. but it took all of the good parts about what makes it an interesting story and somehow just rinsed off all the horribleness I was very impressed. I, I highly recommend it. And we will link to um, a particular song from it, which is called If I Had My Time Again, which is kind of the central thesis. It's about what you would do if you could keep reliving. And there's an official clip that's got the two main actors from when it was on Broadway and some footage from the show. Yeah, I think that one of the things that struck me from watching this film or re-watching this film, because I watched it a very long time ago, 
And I've since read so many um, fanfic examples or uh, watched many TV shows have their own single episodes that do this. And what struck me was it really didn't seem like the ending of this movie, the resolution of the loop, had all that much to do with a lesson that um, the main character had learned. Like there wasn't that much of a a catalytic moment in the last cycle for me. It was very gradual and it was almost because they almost shot the last cycle from Rita's point of view, from the love interest's point of view. And so it almost felt like they were trying to say that she had noticed that he had changed, but that he had already done all of the changing. But also the last cycle is the one where he goes around and tries to help as many people as he can. But the implication I got was that he'd been doing that for a while. Yeah, but I think the last one is the one where it all falls into place. Like he sort of runs around and tries to do things exactly on time. It's almost like he had, and this is, I was going to do this a bit later on, but I'm going to do it here. This is a quote that I wanted to tell you, Mm -hmm. which was, Mm -hmm. this is from the TV Tropes page said that any video game that has a save feature can be considered a manually activated Groundhog Day loop from the character's point of view, as you must repeat the same actions over and over until successful. And that's what it feels like, the Groundhog Day last day. It feels like he's finally got the hang of getting all the quests. And oh no, you're totally right, because this is why it creeped me (gasps) out so much when he slept with the girls in the first few rounds, because he was getting cheat codes to them. I just thought of a, a literal video game that does this, and it's uh, Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask. There's another one that Have plays you... with rewinding time, a video game, and, and you're interacting with your ghosts of your past self. But this is talking about any video game that has a save. Because it's true, you are learning how to That's do it. cool. And you're saying, okay, well, I went at it with this, I went into the fight with this weapon, that didn't work, I'm dead, back to save try again, and you're learning yeah. from your mistakes. Yeah, in Majora's Mask, the time loop is a literal function of the game you have three days to save the world and you get to rewind and do those three days as many times as you need to to get everything Hmm. fixed and there's some things that you only have to do once to say that you completed them and then you don't have to keep doing them over and over again and there's things that you can carry from one loop to the next but at the end of the day like everything around you is the same as it was on the so first it's a day. Canon mechanic, not a game mechanic. That's really interesting. Yes. Yes. And this yes. is reminding me a little bit of the Naruto fic Chunin Exam Day, which uses the time loop concept and I want to say it's a little bit longer, that basically he keeps going until he dies and then it resets, but it's very explicit about it being almost a video game version for Naruto. That's super cool. That's fascinating. So if you guys were stuck in a one day time loop, what would you do? I mean, we are in NaNoWriMo, so now I'm like, I would write my novel. Yeah, I would write so <laughs> I many same. Like, so many. I would read everything. Yes, I would catch up on my TV. I wouldn't, pile. yeah, I wouldn't write. I feel like I just I wouldn't would be, leave the house. That's true. That That's very true. I would leave the house to get a different food. Oh, yeah. But I think I would read a ton because the problem with writing is that you then have to rewrite all of the prose and the ideas and the ideation is never the problem for me. I don't need to spend a ton of time thinking it through, but like writing out those words, ah, I refuse. Oh, that's true. I think I was just imagining that my novel would magically come with me through the time loop. You'll have to memorize it like Spider's Alex. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Calling me the fuck out. Uh, there, when do so I not? listeners, if you if you've missed the the implication or the thing that they're teasing me about here, for my book launch a couple weeks ago, I 
for the reading part of it, I memorized the first 15 minutes of my book and just recited it aloud in front of a room full of people. Because you are And now literally everyone in the world is making fun of me. Someone came up to me. (laughs) And at today, and was like, hey, Alex. I'm like, hey. And he's like, so I heard you broke the curve for everyone else. <laughs> Look, Alex, <laughs> if you're going to commit to being this extra, you just have to accept everything that goes along with it. Including you the mockery. What? That's fine. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I will take it. I will take it. Y'all are just jealous. Shall we move along? <laughs> yep. So I think we just established that we would all just basically read. You know, one day, Luke, yeah, we would never boring. learn our lesson. The whole lesson would be, I, go out yeah. and see the world. We're like, no, books. I would maybe like learn more musical instruments. Like that was something that he That's did that I was, I was like, like I, mm. I completely agree with you, Mister Douche Canoe. Who? What is his name? Is his name just Douche Canoe now? No, his Phil. name's Phil. Just like the like, just like, like the, the groundhog. groundhog. Oh, I don't think I got that. I, yeah. Clearly, I didn't care enough about this particular human being. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I think learning things would be a great use. Because that is something that you can always carry with you. And yeah, I agree with Macy because if you wrote anything, you would lose it. So learning new but skills, you could learn languages, reading all of the things. Yeah. I was going to say, I could read Braudel in the original French. You could do that. I don't know why you would, but that's certainly and a thing. Whatever, whatever deity is controlling Macy's time loop is like, what the fuck is she doing? What I just want to see if he's... I want to see if he is that much of a priss in every language. Okay. Or if it's a translator thing. Yeah. I'm like, is this real? Like, I don't know any French people that I believe that are like this. So what's happening? Anyway, no. Um, nerdery aside. Uh... <laughs> That's Braudel's uh, Structures of Ancients. Of, what is it? Structures of Everyday he has, Life? He, he has many books. Oh, There's God. Structures of Everyday Life. There's The Mediterranean in the Time of Philip. Um, yes. I'm going to read so many textbooks that I will come back and accidentally take a history degree in like five minutes. Great. Excellent. Uh, <laughs> Good. Let's move on. To the next. <laughs> Let's move on. The next head poll that we're talking about is Maelstrom by Feels Like Fire, which is I a Yuri it. It's so good. It's a Yuri on Ice fanfic. It is, as you may have guessed, a Groundhog Day AU. So it takes place in Sochi the day that Yuri finds out that... Um, Vichan, the uh, the family dog, has died. And it's all from Victor's perspective. So it's the day of the Grand Prix final. It's the day that Yuri uh, fucks up and ruins yep. everything and, like, bombs and has to reevaluate his whole career. Uh, and it's from Victor's point of view. And Victor, at this point in time, is very self-centered. He has been told his entire life how much of a genius he is. He's not very good at doing emotional labor for other people or being reliable or being a kind person. And the whole fic is like many Groundhog Day fics about like learning how to be a better person and how to take care of the people around you and how to have empathy for them. And it's also about not making choices for other people. Uh, One of you mentioned here in the dot points, I don't know who it was because you didn't put your name on it, (laughs) so I can't point at you, uh, that you love the bit bit where Victor hides uh, Vichan's death from Yuri Mm -hmm. because he knows that it's going to happen. So he tells Yuri, you're going to get a phone call at noon. I think he just doesn't even tell him that. I think he just says, turn off your phone. He just tells him to turn his phone off. Oh, you're right. You're right. Absolutely. Which is even more like creepy, honestly. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, and it's coming from a place of good intentions because he just wants Yuri to have this like one happy day instead of having his day ruined. But 
also he doesn't really get to make that decision for Yuri. And this is something that's really, really important to him. And the fact that he knew it and tried to hide it from him is shitty. The fic is a really, really good ad adaptation of Groundhog Day. And I, in, in Groundhog Day, the creepy main character does a lot of like pressuring mm -hmm. of the women and like basically tricks women into having sex yep. with him. Like that's what he's doing. Uh, he finds out information about them. And then in the next cycle, he uses that information on them yes. to get them to sleep. And I would say for the listeners, um, please, content warnings for coercion and attempt to force someone to have sex with him. Don't don't watch this movie if that's something you're not okay with uh, to watch. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's definitely condemned in yes. the text, but it was also, it's pretty unpleasant to yes. watch the first time it happens. Yeah. 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 Um, and it's all like, it, it's not, it's like emotional right. manipulation and like coaxing and cajoling and women are like apart from the time with rita oh yes there is the time with rita where he gets kind of pushy yeah, yeah. and it's true so I mean, it's not great and i, I do love that this fic <laughs> shows victor coming to know yuri in a lot of different ways and they actually have sex i think fairly early on in mm -hmm. the fic but mm -hmm. also fairly early on in the cycles and victor just takes it as read that they'll have sex multiple different times and it's all about that emotional journey and not really about a sexual relationship with someone although i do find it a little odd like i mean obviously it's romantic and things but can you imagine coming out the other end of that many iterations of knowing someone having sex with them with it always being their first time and by the end of it even when they tick over into the next day he knows this person so well and he knows so much about mm -hmm. how he will react to things just yeah, I'd almost be interested in a story about how you enter into a relationship from either side of that, either knowing that you are completely oh. known or that, and, and you like, know nothing in like, return. It's so yeah. one-sided. Yeah, like the day after I mean, someone has a Groundhog Day. Yeah, especially if you're the person that they've like spent countless iterations becoming to know, knowing everything about you. Like the, half the yeah. point of entering a relationship is mutual discovery and there's nothing left to be discovered yeah, about you. Right. It would be... It would be odd, I think. That's it would be. And I think that this is one of the things that really got me about the ending of the movie Groundhog Day was they were like talking about, oh, when we buy a house here. <laughs> it's mean, not relatable for millennials. Known you, Rita has known you as a decent human being for approximately 18 yeah. hours. Yeah. In the musical, there's a song in the middle where he's singing, I know everything about you and it's it's not in a creepy way it's where he's like it's the one where he's sort of like becoming despairing and trying to prove to her that he is in a t time loop by telling her all the things that he knows about her and then in the last song it's almost like he's admitting actually i know nothing like even though i know all these facts and things i feel like i'm seeing mm. you for the first time and she says and she says something in yep. along the same lines and there's nothing of this we're going to settle down here and have a house it's just and they actually feel like they end the day almost on this in the whole movie or the same in the musical on the same level, which is a neat character trick, considering he still does know everything about her. But there's this sense that because he's a shallow person, all of what he has understood about her up till now has been fairly shallow. Like he's just been collecting facts and because right. she's a much more empathic person. Right. He ends the day just on the crest of emotional awareness where she's been the whole time. And so it feels more equal. But the this fanfic. Right bringing it back to that does feel like it would be an interesting place to start from and i want to say that there was a passage in the fanfic about how victor was saving these days and wasn't doing them every time was like savoring them savoring them so that he wouldn't get bored so that it wouldn't be completely repetitive 
Or did I misremember that? No, I think you're right. There's something about that. Yeah, he doesn't want to do the same thing all the time. Be like, you know, eating the same ice cream over and over and over. And I think this comes to something that I was going to talk about a little bit later that ties in really well with the point you made, Freya, about video games. But I'm somewhat creeped out every time one of these cycles is hinged on a romantic relationship. Because to me, it feels like everybody who isn't the main character, who isn't going through the time loop, is an NPC. Mm, that's a good point. You know, they, they, are, they don't have, I mean, you know, it's what I said to you, Alex, a while ago. This character has no agency. They, they are, are a jellyfish, jellyish. not a character. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but if you, have, if you are in, caught in a time loop and you don't know it, you have no stakes and you have no agency. And you're not then really a yeah. person. I don't know if I agree with that, actually, because now that I'm thinking okay. about it, part of the key thing, like at the beginning of a Groundhog Day fic, the main character is absolutely treating everyone like an NPC. Mm -hmm. And I think, t for me at least, the way that I interpret it is that the process is realizing that other people are people, not NPCs. And you have to treat them like people and you have to be good to them just as if they were also the most important person in your life, not just your love interest. Because like, like even in the last cycle of Groundhog Day, as problematic as it is, the actress, the love interest, invites him out for coffee and he says, let's take a rain check on that. I have some errands to go run. Because <laughs> the other people in the town that he has to help are just as important to him as she is. And he has an obligation to them as well as to his love interest. So do you think, Macy, it's because, like in any romance story, the surrounding cast are always, to a certain extent, coming across as, I guess, in quotes, NPCs, because they are there to provide a context for the romance. It just becomes much more explicit in A Groundhog Day because what they are doing doesn't change, because they are consistent characters. Well, I think I would be fine with uh, secondary and tertiary characters feeling a little bit more like stock, a little bit more like NPCs. I'm never 100% fine with that because, frankly, it's lazy craft. Mm. But I'm the place where it weirds me out a little bit is when it is the romantic interest who is able to be treated as an NPC. You can just keep feeding her the same pieces of uh, input and you will get the same output. Like mm. That's a choice that you as the main character can make. And maybe Alex's point is that, yes, you have to stop choosing that option. That's when you break free is you stop treating them like a coin slot machine yeah right and you start treating them like a person yeah and i think that one of the cool things about the way that naruto fandom treats this trope and other time loop tropes is a lot of the time loop fix the long ones like tune and exam day and like time braid which was a sakura focused fic it allowed the main character after a number of loops to figure out how to bring other people into the loop with them not just on one iteration but like actually bring them in and so those people suddenly had agency outside the context of the single loop i was just about to ask if you guys could think of any that, that did that because like if you can bring other people into the loop with you or if other mm -hmm. people are experiencing the loop like that completely changes the dynamic i think that's fascinating yeah, yeah. yeah. um I also side note i am just suddenly having like all of these like hard feelings about how difficult it is to be like a good person <laughs> And uh, like, 
it's really hard to like take care of the people around you sometimes and to like like take care of yourself as well as like being kind to everyone and like I'm just having a lot of feelings right now. I think that a lot of the time the win criteria in modern society is so points based and by points based I mean money that it's very easy for incentives to line up so that you never try to be good to other people because it's not on the scorecard. Yeah. And yeah. so you have to almost fight against the whole system to even remember to want to be good to people just for the sake of doing it. Yeah. And that's hard. It's never rewarded and it shouldn't have to be rewarded, but also it sucks that this system is set up so that it won't be. Yeah. I mean, and in both of these tent poles, like he doesn't break out of the cycle until he has built a community. Mm-hmm. When it comes to bringing other people into the loop, I have now been thinking about the one Groundhog Day fic that I have written, surprising no one, uh, which was in Merlin fandom. Have you, question, have you written every trope, Freya? No. <laughs> I don't like some tropes. <laughs> okay. What tropes haven't you written? I don't know. I'll get back to you. That can be its whole other episode. <laughs> okay, there we go. We can have an episode on tropes Freya hates. But I'm thinking about it. And when I wrote this, so mine is called Quickening Days and it's a Merlin fic. And I wrote it very specifically, I think, the person who's trapped pulls in the other person almost in like the second loop. Like the whole idea is I was using it as an adventure frame. So the, there's a mm, mechanics mm-hmm. of it is that there is something that is going to happen. A terrible disaster is going to happen. One of the magical characters, Morgana, accidentally or like semi-consciously pulls the kingdom into a loop in order to avert the crisis that's going to happen the next day. And so... Merlin and Arthur have to find a way of discovering what the crisis is going to be and how they can avoid it, but they are doing it together. So there's no going back and changing for them in terms of emotion. So they they fall in love over the course of the story, but they do it because they are in it together and not because one of them right. is constantly getting to try out lines on the other. I like that. And I, I think that with Maelstrom, one of the things that it emphasizes is the loneliness Oh, yes. Of this. Yeah. Um, which, you know, is hashtag peak Russian. <laughs> True. Loneliness <laughs> in the midst of a blizzard in winter. The blizzard. Uh, Walking in I the do snow like the whole alone thing. and no one to see your footsteps behind you. So speaking of the blizzard, here's a, here's a slightly tangential question. Do you think a Groundhog Day story work, has to work in a small town or in a, a set location? Like, does it have to be in something quite self-contained, like a hotel or a town or something? Can you do a Groundhog Day story that works in a much huger setting? I think that having it in a small town is a good decision because it limits you. Like if you did it in New York City, there's too many variables, right? There's like too many people. You can't make sure that you're doing it right. And also there's too many options for you. So it's not going, you're not going to get bored as quickly and you're not going to have to find like creative ways to solve your problems. I would also say though, for me, the question is, what is the exit criteria of the time loop slash the focal point of the story? So a true Groundhog Day AU, which Maelstrom is fantastically faithful to Groundhog Day. It very much is. For me, the central theme of those is being good to others and discovering community. And when that's your central th- facet, I would say, yeah, it needs to be in a fixed community. But if you are doing a puzzle box, if you are doing something that has a different reason, I think you just have to constrain the ability to tackle the core problem. Mm. And if the core problem is not about community and interpersonal relations, 
then you don't have to constrain that aspect because broadening that aspect won't help yeah, the yeah. main character. Well, if you're thinking about as puzzle boxes, I wanted to talk about this when we were talking about um, non-repeating characters being NPCs. The book that I'm reading at the moment, mm-hmm. The Seven Deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle, is kind of a Groundhog Day Rashomon trope mashup. Hmm. It is very much set in a central location. It's, a, it's set at a, um, a country manor house. I have not been able to quite <laughs> nail Freya, down. You love country manor houses. I love country manor houses. I am a sucker. And this is a country manor house <laughs> murder mystery. Um, oh, gosh. But the way it plays out is that somebody wakes up each morning in the body of a different person at this <gasps> place. And they have to live through the day. Oh. And it's always the same day. So it's not that they have to get a redo. It's that they are living through the same day in someone else's body. And so they can go and find themselves two cycles ago and, like, leave a message for them in a book. And they discover that there's somebody else who's doing the same thing. And there's also – and he gets told by, like, a shadowy figure that he has to – he has to solve the mystery of who murders the girl, Evelyn Hardcastle, who always dies at the end of the night. And there is someone who's trying to kill him. And there is – who keeps, like, finding him and, like, leaving him threatening messages. There's someone else who's an ally – who he's not sure if, if she's changing hosts as well. Um, and it's very clever. I'm only about a third of the way through it. It's incredibly mind-twisty. It's not perfect. It's very white duty. Like, it's very, I was going to say, know, all of the hosts are men. There oh, is yeah. some pretty horrible fat phobia stuff in one of the chapters. But the concept is really interesting, and I'm really looking forward to finding out what the – I guess in universe explanation for it is if they're if they're ever going to provide one they don't necessarily have to but it's fascinating. Macy and I for for all the listeners Macy and I for the like ninety five percent of that explanation we're sitting here with our hands on our cheeks like dragging we our hands down our face the, with our jaws you know on the floor. The, the colon D emoticon that's basically what yes. both of our faces were doing. <laughs> As Freya told. Oh my god. But it sounds kind of so, like so cool. the Body Snatchers meets Clue. Yeah, basically. Yeah, it's oh very god. Clue. It's very, like, it's, it's an incredibly clever. I want to read that book. just to, like, th- like investigate the structure of it. Because, man, that must have been, like, really intricate to write. Wow. Oh my god. Like, he must have had so many diagrams and things. Because it's not entirely done linearly either. Um, like, it's not you get one whole story, then not. the next one, then the next one. Oh, because shit. if somebody goes to sleep, you can wake up in someone else's. So so the days with oh, the hosts no. are kind of intertwined mm. as well. It's, it, yeah, it's a bit mind-twisty. I think I'm going to have to read the rest of it quite fast because if I get back to it after a break, I'm like, wait, who? Yeah. What? Wow. So that confused. sounds incredible. But I think that we should probably get on to our third and final tent pole um, before we entirely divert ourselves and have to start again, as would be thematic. Oh, nice. I see what you did there. I see what you did there. (laughs) So, darling listeners. So clever. um, We appreciate you very much. And so we found you a nice short tent pole. A gift from us to you. From us to you. We regret how much we have ruined your TBR files. We regret particularly, I regret particularly Freeport. I apologize for how many hundred thousands of words it was. I promise never <laughs> to tentpole embers. Thank you. No matter how much I want to. If Good. you tried, we would no. have a stern talking. There would be a stern a talking. Stern talk. I am yes. not allowed to tentpole embers. It has been stated. <laughs> Sigh. 
Yes. Or lightning on the wave. Anyway. Mutiny. So what is this nice short temple? I have now spoken for longer than it would take to read this thing aloud. So this is one of my favorite short stories and possibly like one of the most masterful pieces of flash fiction that I've ever read, which means it's under a thousand words long. The story is called The First Stop is Always the Last by John Wiswell. And A, John is amazing. B, this story (laughs) is about... A bus driver falling in crush with a cute girl who is gets on her bus repeatedly, who is the daughter of the god of time, and keeps fucking up the flirting and resetting time. And the bus driver decides that this is rude and asks her nicely to stop. It's so, so cute. cute. I love that it's like the central conceit of why this person is doing it is the most relatable, yes. like hashtag relatable. She's nervous about her first yeah. day at work. And also she wants to redo her. Yeah, meet cute. I love like, her. I love so her. Cute. I think that the key bit of the story is the the line, don't rewind me, it's rude. Yes. Because again, like it's about the the character who's in the loop making a choice for someone else. Except mm-hmm. this time the someone else gets to say like, hey, don't do this thing. You have to treat me like a person. Yes. Like, you can't just, like, make this decision for me. It's You so have to good. accept, like, that you make mistakes sometimes. And I love the bus driver who clearly cares so much about strangers and yeah. wants to help people. Uh, it's from the point of view of the character. Well, it's kind of from the point of view of the character who's stuck, who's not inside the loop and who doesn't know what's going on. She's mm-hmm. just driving her bus and a cute girl, girl gets on. And then she's driving her bus and a cute girl gets on. And then she's driving the bus and a cute, and girl, a cute girl, gets girl gets on. Gets and on. it just, yep, yep. And I love them. Can you think of any other ones that use that idea of someone being physically able to do the reset at will? Because I think that's one. Because that, obviously this isn't a Groundhog Day story because it's, it's over a very short snatch of time. There's a little bit of it with Hermione Granger's time turner in the third Harry mm. Potter book where she gets to go back like one hour to so that she can take all her classes. <laughs> Which, again, relatable. Um, but you can't, but that's not, it's not a reset. It's yeah, just your doubling. That's true. That's yeah, true. Exactly. That's a different mechanic. I could have sworn that there was a, like, shitty early noughts, late 90s TV show along the lines of Sliders that did something like this, but I might be entirely imagining it. Because mm. mm, it's nice. It's a nice take on it, this idea that someone can do it at will. And I think you have to have a very yeah. relatable, sympathetic protagonist because otherwise they could turn into an anti-hero very yes. quickly. I did just see on TV Tropes when I was doing a bit of research beforehand that somebody has written a long fic where Joffrey gets to reset. Oh, interesting. Joffrey from Game of Thrones, right? Yes. Um, so when he dies, he resets to his family setting out to go visit the Starks in the north. And so the first time is how he dies in canon is what resets him. Um, and then mm, every time he fucks up, it resets. And so it's kind of by his choice, I mm. guess. What's what's the win condition? I think he has to learn how to be a human being. That's standard. That's okay. standard. That's That sounds fairly yeah, That's classic and also okay. challenging. Spoilers, spoilers for the 11th hour arc of the Adventure Zone, mm-hmm. which if you haven't watched the Adventure, Adventure Zone, you should watch, listen to, listen to. It's a podcast. <laughs> Uh, so in that <laughs> arc, they are also going through a loop and they're living through one hour oh. and they just have to repeat 
one hour over and over again until they solve Griffin's time lock puzzle. When I, when I listened to that for the first time, I was so relieved the first time he was like, we can just skip ahead and just assume you did everything right and get back yeah, to thank God. And I was like, thank, <laughs> thank God. God. Uh, <laughs> yes. And... And in that one, spoilers, it is kind of someone doing it on purpose, but you don't mm. find out who it is resetting the time loop until, like, the very end. And in that one also, it's just the three of them, but the three of them are going through the loop over and over again. And it, it, that's, that's a division that you see in this particular type of story. Sometimes it explains it and explains why it's happened and how it's happened and what the mechanic is. And sometimes you don't. Like, Groundhog Day never explains why it's happened mm -hmm. or who, who caused it to happen. It's just something that has happened to this person. Um, but certainly there's, it's been used a lot in different ways. And sometimes you do get that explanation of there's a person, there's a being, there is a higher power that is doing it. In Maelstrom, it's kind of implied that it's um, Baba Yaga. Yep. Yes. Or at least something like that. There is a witch who is... Because again, peak Russian. Yeah. Because peak, peak Russian. Russian. Yeah, and I'm thinking about, if you're thinking about the use of time loops for other things, so mm -hmm. Edge of Tomorrow, the movie, which is about somebody, again, looping, 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 and, and every time he dies, it resets, and it's based mm -hmm. on a short story called, short story, maybe a novel, I'm not sure, called All You Need Is Kill, <laughs> uh, in which the ability to loop like that is something that alien, the alien invaders had, and mm. they use it to win battles. To basically every time something happens and they're defeated, they go back, they loop, um, but they carry the knowledge of it. And that's how they have become um, very successful invaders because they can learn everything and they can reset battles. And it's about what happens when a, a human character gains this ability and has to keep going back and, and resetting and trying to win. I think it's a great movie. It's a movie starring Emily Blunt's biceps, <laughs> if that is at all interesting to you always 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 interesting you just made me realize something in exactly the same way that the ai from our favorite show about wives right person of interest can reset time as a simulation back in our very first episode the very fit which caused us to start this podcast victory condition doesn't doesn't megatron use the matrix that he gains to build a tool that does this simulation to win battles yeah. with? Yeah, that's the, I think it's the implication. It's not gone into very deeply, but it's saying that, yes, if, if he gets it's not gone into, the Matrix. I thought you were going to talk about the other Astolat <laughs> robot bonus Which thick. one? Um, and I alone have escaped to tell oh, you, yes. which is and also so about do-overs. Yes. It's, it's not necessarily about a loop. It's more about yeah. exit. Yes. Um, and this is an example of a completely different take on the time travel trope that I think we see a lot more in fanfic than we do anywhere else, which is the restart from the top yes. fic. I think there's, I want to say that there's a metric shitload of Harry Potter fanfic that does this. Yes. I will take your word for it. It's, it's all on ff.net, so ah. I don't know that either of you will have encountered it. But there's a lot of fanfic, like The Dark Prince, I want to say as an example, where they pull Harry through... This was written before the last few books were written. A lot of them will play through to like a dystopian ending and then reboot Harry to the beginning. And Naruto does a similar thing. Like There are a lot of Naruto fics that do this. But the fandom where I was introduced to this trope was the Cloud Sephiroth corner of the Final Fantasy VII fandom. Ooh, we're getting niche. <laughs> yeah, well, there were about, like, I want to say two or three, like, super novel-length 
fanfics that had Cloud rebooting time and going back as a student at Shinra before the war and before, because Sephiroth dies, right, in the game. And so this is a bit of a challenge for shippers, really. So is the story then just the story of one rendition? So somebody goes back to the start, yes. they have the knowledge of what happened in canon, and then they get to redo it. But it's not a loop, you just see with the, the one rendition that they do in that knowledge. Exactly, exactly. Okay. I think I've read, I've read one of those and I have written it once. <laughs> of course you have. Of course I have. It was of very short. It was just the beginning. <laughs> it was the beginning of A Captive uh, Prince. Of course it was. Oh. That particular trope. I think it's very iddy, right? It's very, like, emotionally satisfying. Like, well, I could have done it right. Yeah. But it also I think it has, if you're talking about how it appeals to the id and why it's an interesting trope to read, it also has that sense of knowing more. You can mm -hmm. go back yes. and you meet all these people and it's, 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 it's the same as coming out of a Groundhog Day loop. You have more knowledge than everyone yeah. else and you get to use it. And there's something very very seductive about that idea. My little, little seven-year-old Macy's like dream slash fanfic in my head when I was tiny was that one day I would like accidentally be transported onto a planet with Captain Kirk and Spock. And I would know how to start a fire, but they wouldn't. And I would save them because <laughs> I understood camping. Brilliant. <laughs> oh my gosh. But well, I think what the fix it does that a loop doesn't is it makes it less necessarily moral. It's a little mm. bit more Slytherin and a little yes. bit less Hufflepuff because yes. you're you're getting to relive it to do a specific goal of your own. You're not you're not being taught a lesson by the universe. This is you going back and saying, I am going to fix this so it comes out the way that I want. And making a choice and taking agency. Yes. Can I, at this point in time, mention one of my favorite Dragon Age Inquisition fix? Uh-huh. Does it involve somebody whose name ends with Orion? It does. It does. It's called <laughs> World Without End by Sorted. And it in the in the canon game, uh there is a bad ending for the character Iron Bull, and there's a good ending. And whether you get the bad ending or the good ending depends on one particular choice you make way, way earlier in the game. Hmm. And so in this fic, the bad ending happens, and Dorian, who has a relationship with Iron Bull at that point, starts questioning, oh my god, this terrible thing happened, did he ever really love me? I can't believe that this happened. I need to find a way to go back and, and undo this because I can't <laughs> live with the world being this way. Mm -hmm. So he uses canonical time magic to go back in time to way, way early in the, the history of the, the Inquisition, and which is like several years, mm -hmm. and tries to do everything he can to not make the bad thing happen. Mm -hmm. And it's incredibly detailed and incredibly nuanced and uh sorted the author put like tons and tons of attention to detail and played out a lot of the implications of being a person who knows everything that's going to be happening for the next three years mm -hmm. into this fic it's it's a fantastic example of a time travel fix it fic i do that's love very those. meta if you're talking about someone who's going back using canonical time magic to fix yeah. something that is a canonical, that is a game mechanics choice by yeah. the player. Yep. <sighs> it is almost, but not quite enough to get me into video games. No, but they're so good. Like the narrative style of the, the, the really good narrative video games is amazing. And I can't play video games anymore. My hands are too fucked up, but I mm. really enjoy sometimes even just like watching Let's Plays 
or yeah. like reading through novelizations um because it is it's there's this whole thread when you're talking about interactive fiction about audience complicity an audience member if you're reading a book and you're trying to make them care about something that's happening to the characters they need to be uncertain about how it's going to resolve right that's one right. of the craft things that we do to hold tension if the thing that happens is because they chose something then they feel guilty and involved and complicit in mm. the consequence of what is the reader or the player's actions and i think that that from the sound of it is what that fic that you mentioned about dragon age is playing with is the guilt that dorian and by dorian we mean the reader yes feels well it's almost that dorian is going back and fixing the game player slash readers fuck up <laughs> Because it was a choice made by the Inquisitor, I'm assuming, that then yes, changes the Yes, that's ending. correct. Mm -hmm. That's correct. So he's actually he's actually messing with the Inquisitor just as much as he's messing with Iron Bull. Mm. And like along the way, he also like because he's done all of this like emotional work already. He's moved past a lot of like the things that he was struggling with earlier in the game. So he gets to make different choices, and he gets to have an easier way to to fix things and make things better. Yeah, that makes it's a fantastic sense. pick. And I yeah. think that brings me back to something I wanted to ask earlier about this whole um, Groundhog Day fix yourself thing. These feel a little bit like Aesop's fables. Yes, now that you mention it, but tell me more. Um, I feel like the they are hammering home a particular moral lesson into a particularly thick-headed protagonist frequently. Yes. And yeah, they're essentially they're fables, they're moral lessons disguised as agency. You don't mm. have a choice about what you do. You either do it right or you f keep failing out and flunking it and doing the time loop again. So it's actually almost the looping character who has the least agency of all. It's interesting. Yeah. I was, I was thinking about... I think that's why I like to see there being a secondary level. Like there's some other puzzle that has to be mm -hmm. solved. It's not just like okay, I'm stuck in this thing, how do I get it right? Because that can be quite frustrating to watch depending <laughs> on how, how thick-headed and how sympathetic your protagonist is. Oh, Victor. But True. Yeah, it, it does send – it always has to – and I was going to say, come back at this with a question. Do you think a loop has to end? Because if you think about how time loops can be used in fiction – so Stephen King's Dark Tower series. Spoilers mm -hmm. for the entire Dark Tower series. I am fine with that. Also say Okay, it. so you get to the very, very end of this seven book adventure series and you end up with the protagonist back on the first page of the first book with the implication being that he cannot actually remember anything and he is actually just stuck in a loop where he relives this whole sequence of events over and over again. And it was a very controversial ending. And let's be frank, it's Stephen King. He probably made it all up like the page before and was like, <laughs> this will be fun. But it's so nihilistic. Like, it's not immoral. It's just like, nothing matters. Nothing Here is a really loop. Matters. Santayana, you know, condemned to repeat history because you literally can't remember it because you're a character and the author decided that you can't. So that's a different way of coming at Oy time. Bae. I would have hoiked that out the window. <laughs> I nearly did. I would have hoiked that out the window. I would have burned it. Oh, look, look, the, the moral of that I... is that it is the journey that counts for the reader. Like, there's a very uh... enjoyable book series. It's just if you're looking for closure, mm. you're not going to find it. You just have to think back and be like, well, I had a really good time with these characters mm. along the way. But I think that your question about, like, does a time loop have to end? is reminding me of, I don't know if you got this far, but the Dream Bubbles sequence in Homestuck. 
let's just assume that I have wiped the small part of Homestuck that I did actually read <laughs> entirely from my memory and remind me again. I read through all of Homestuck, but and I remember the dream bubbles vaguely, but Macy, regale us. So yeah, TLDR, um, the characters who died during the course of Homestuck, a bunch of them ended up kind of replaying themselves over and over like stuck videos in these dream bubbles that the other characters could go and interact with not necessarily like on purpose, they were sort of slowly drifting through them and they would encounter the ghosts of their dead friends, uh, kind of replaying forever. But some of the ghosts sort of were sentient and some of the dream bubbles were pretty pleasant places. And it was kind of highlighting that if you were this ghost with consciousness, stuck in a reasonably pleasant environment where you could learn things and do your hobbies and maybe even socialize with others, that might actually be a nicer existence than the kids who are still struggling onwards to fight against the end. Well, the point the about ghosts is that they're supposed to be time loops. Like, if you think about the way that people talk about mm-hmm. spectres and ghosts, it's always someone is, oh, you always see them in this doorway and they're always dragging this object or something. Yep. It's always that they are reliving the, either the, the point of most trauma or they're trying to provide a clue or something. And it's never presented as this is an existence that they are learning from. It's something that they're stuck in and they want to be freed to oblivion. But I think that that is the learning. That is the breaking of the time loop. I'm thinking back to Bridge of Birds and the Dancing Girl ghost. Yes. And it's exactly that. It's that she has to learn a way to get through the door and be with her love. But she can't do it herself. She's static. She needs external yes. help to, to get it. Yeah. Yeah. I think maybe that's the thing with ghosts is they can't do it without help. Yeah. And that's why they appear. They appear to, to find the help. Yeah. Ghosts are a very depressing use Ghosts of Ghosts the... are just time loops in search of friends. That's a nice <laughs> Is Is that your attempt to have a, a uh, pithy ending comment? <laughs> sure, we can cut it there if you want. I want it to be a short story title now. A time loop in search of a friend. Oh, I am always in search of a friend and of time loops. So I will happily take that challenge at some point when I'm not in nano hell. Yes. <sighs> so for those of you going through nano hell with us in the Discord chat or elsewhere, welcome. And I hope this episode isn't going up until like the 21st. So really, I hope your whole nano has gone well. <laughs> I hope you have not been quite as extra as Alex and uh, have therefore retained some of your mental faculties. Alex has retained all of their mental faculties. Thanks. It is November 3rd. You realize what this implies about the mental faculties you started out with. What does it imply? You retained them, and thus, you never had more than this. Ouch, I, think that, yeah, I mean, no, no, no. She, I, that initially sounds like an ouch, but I think that that is correct, because we're always growing and changing as, as people, and, uh, and doing the hard emotional labor to become better, which is... Even when we're stuck in a time Even loop. when we're stuck in a time loop. That's the end of the episode. There we go. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Be the Serpent, a podcast of extremely, extremely deep literary merit. I do want to apologize briefly. As you heard, there were some little bits of static in Freya's audio for some reason. I tried my best to remove them, but I'm not good enough at audio witchcraft to do that yet, if it's even possible. Maybe in the next time loop, I'll figure out how. For today, though, uh, I'm very sorry. I hope that didn't interfere with your enjoyment too much. 
So I'm recording this outro on November 15th, two weeks after we recorded the episode itself, and I'm here to tell you that I haven't lost any more of my mental faculties. So there, Macy. NaNoWriMo is still going great for all of us, but all this writing means we are terribly busy with not a lot of time to read. So the next episode, two weeks hence on December 5th, has only one tentpole. We're spending a whole episode talking about the Merlin fanfic, Drastically Redefining Protocol by Rage Proofrock. If you haven't read it, note that there is a content warning for a few slight offhanded joking mentions of rape. Just something to be aware of before you dive in. If you know someone who loves Merlin fanfic or Rage Proofrock's fanfic or delicious tropes, then let them know about that episode. The podcast only grows if you help out with that sweet, sweet word of mouth advertising. If you want to chat with us or other cool people about today's episode, there's lots of ways to do that. You can contact us at serpentcast at gmail.com, at serpentcast on Twitter and Tumblr, or join in the conversation in our fan Discord chat, linked on the About the Show page of our website. Have you left a rating or a review of the podcast somewhere like iTunes? Hey, maybe think about doing that thing. And by the way, I'd have a lot of fun being stuck in a time loop with you. Think of all the trashy books we could read together.